Welcome to Connect Church. We're a new church in the East Windsor Heightstown area, and we're a church that is looking to connect to Jesus and community. We're so glad you've joined us. Welcome to Connect Church. My name is Frank. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we're just so glad that you chose to be with us today. And we're just excited as we kick off our new series called Open Hearts. Uh, This series is about how to reach people who don't know Jesus. How it takes our hearts to be changed first before we can reach the people around us. Um, We know that this is a hot topic. A lot of times there's a lot of different feelings about whether we should share our faith or not. But as we walk through this series, we're going to see that one of the most important things that we can do as followers of Jesus is to share what he's done in our hearts and in our lives. In scripture, we see this idea of heaven and earth. The kingdom of earth is where we live right now. It's a place that was created for a relationship with God, but separated because of sin. Then we see the spiritual, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This is where God dwells and his presence is, and and he's fully present there. The only time we saw these two together is in the Garden of Eden. This is where the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth were in perfect unity. But then, humanity chose sin, and at that moment, God ran from sin. And he didn't run from sin because it's his kryptonite, but he ran from it because he obliterates sin. He can't be in the presence of sin because of his holiness. And so instead of obliterating us as humans, he chose to separate himself from us and begin to put in a restoration plan that we could be reunited with him. The rest of the Bible from we read this in the beginning of Genesis and the rest of it is this story of God trying to reconcile these two kingdoms. In Mark, Jesus explains the gospel and he says, I'm here to restore the kingdom of earth. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we follow Jesus' example and Jesus invited people into the kingdom of God. He didn't scare them. Uh, he, he invited them to be part of this restoration process. And he shows us that the church should be part of this restoration process as well. That we should interact with people who don't know Jesus. And that we should try and show them who Jesus is through our lives. See, today you are part of the picture of God's restoration work. Your life. You watching today have been called to be part of God's restoration plan, bringing heaven and earth back together again that started way, way a long time ago. Today, you are still part of that. But as we open this series, I just want to ask this question. When is the last time that that you watching led someone to Christ? Now, I don't ask that to, to, to judge. I don't ask that to be mean. I simply ask When is the last time you led someone to Christ? And I think the reality is most people watching today, it's probably been a while. For some, maybe months, others, maybe years. But, But the truth is, for a lot of us, it's been a long time. And I think sometimes we forget how important this idea is to God to reconcile people back to him. Today, we're going to take a look through Luke 15. And we're going to see Jesus addressing this exact idea. 
he's talking to a, a large group of people, and, and as he's talking to them, the audience is split. See, Jesus is with the tax collectors and sinners. He's with the people who don't know God, but he's also with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, the ones who knew the scriptures in and out. And he tells a few stories to hit on this exact idea of our need to be part of the reconciliation process. So let's start by reading Luke 15, three to seven. It says this, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So today we're going to be filling out this chart as we go through these stories to kind of show a little bit of what Jesus is getting at in the story. So here we go. First part of the chart. What was lost? A sheep. How many? One out of a hundred. Who looked? The shepherd. Was it found? Yes, the sheep was found. See, and, and again, in the split audience that's here, all of the audience would go, of course the shepherd would look for it. The sheep may not be worth that much money, but to that shepherd, that sheep was really important. So yes, we're all on the same page. We all understand what Jesus is saying. It's obvious that the sheep or that the shepherd would go and look for the sheep. Jesus continues with another story. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Real quick, check out this picture. This picture that you see on, on the screen right now is how this woman would have worn these coins. See, at this time, they wore the coins as an engagement ring. And since she lost the coin, it essentially made her engagement ring incomplete. The groom couldn't find her or marry her until she found the ring. Now this puts a little bit more of importance to as to why she's searching for this ring. Uh, I had never known this before. This was something new that I learned in, in studying for this series. Um, a, a lot of times I'm like, yeah, she would lose the coin, but really, you know, it's a coin. What does it matter? But now, because it's her engagement ring, now I don't know, maybe some of you watching have lost a wedding or engagement ring or a diamond out of them, you panic. It, it's worth something. And then even more, you add in the cultural norm of that day where they couldn't get married until she found the ring. Imagine the panic that she's feeling and looking for it. So, okay, here we go, back to our chart. What was missing? The coin was missing. How many? One out of 10. Who looked? the woman who owned it, and was it found? Yes. Again, the crowd at this time all would agree, obviously she's going to look for that. But Jesus continues with a story of a dad and two sons, and now he's getting a little bit more pointed in his approach. The older son will get double the inheritance, 
And so here, again, there, there's a father and two sons. One son says, I'm leaving. I want my inheritance now. Um, please just leave me alone. I, I don't want you, Dad. I don't want to be part of this family. I just want what's coming to me. So the older son um, would get double the inheritance. At that time, the oldest son would get two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son would get one-third um, because the job of the older son was to keep the family together. So they got more inheritance to make sure that the family stayed together. They got more inheritance, in a sense, to be more loving. If a family business struggled or went out, they would help start a new one. If a family member got off track, it was their job to make sure that they would come and be restored to the family. So as we read more of Jesus' story here in Luke 15, we read 11, verses 11 to 13, and it says this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. At that time, the son was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. <laughs> I don't care about you, but I just want the stuff that you have. And now... You would have heard a gasp in the audience. The original listeners would have been blown away by the father's response. See, a Middle Eastern father at this time would not have given in to the son's demand. See, he would have cast the son out. He would have driven him away with violence. And he would have said, you get out of here. You're no longer my son. I don't want any part of your request, but... This father divided the property, he gave it to him, and that means he divides his land, he, he takes everything he has and divides it to one-third and gives it to his son, and the son here is asking the father to tear his life apart while the community watches. While everyone around, I'm sure this farm where this family lived, is watching this dad humiliate himself to do the opposite of what culture says at that time, to meet his son's request. The father here, the, the way that he loves his son is different. It's not like a normal father would. And even though he knew that this decision would probably lead to pain for his son, he still did it because of his love for his son. We continue in verses 14 to 20. It says, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. See, the son takes his share, and he runs off. He squanders it. Uh, he's literally in the mud with pigs when he realizes, I've made some mistakes here. And so he comes up with a plan. 
he's gonna go home. And when he's when he goes home, see, home wasn't just a place, but home was relationship. It's where he was accepted. It's where he was loved. And see, he wants to go back to that place again, to have relationship, to have love. But he also knows at the time of the story to go back, he would have to pay his father back to be brought back into the family. So the one third of inheritance that he had taken and squandered, he's going to need to pay his father back now. And so in his head, he thinks he's going to go back and he's going to work back that one third of, of inheritance. He's going to earn back his acceptance. He's going to earn back his right to be a son. But again, we see how different this father is. Despite all the son had done to him, when he sees him, he has compassion and he runs out to meet him. Another crazy thing about culture at this time, see, adult men at that time, they didn't run. Because running or showing excitement was something that they didn't do. At this time, they kept emotions buried beneath the surf surface. It was all about the way that they looked on the outside. And so the fact that, again, this father ran to his son, he bears his emotions for everyone watching to see, shows the compassion and the love that he has for his son. The son gets ready to explain his plan to him. Father, I'm going to work off. I'm, I'm going to pay you back. I'm so sorry for everything that he did. But before he can even get the words out of his mouth, the father has a plan. And he restores him to the family by putting on a robe and a ring. And the ring that the father puts on his finger is so significant. Again, the son says, I want to earn my way back into this family. But the father says, you don't have to earn this. I'm bringing you back today. I am giving you your sonship back. And you know what's crazy? By, by receiving him this way again, he's literally saying that going forward, the son will get one third of everything again. There's a cost to this restoration. Because he welcomes the son back and says, you are my son. I'm so happy you're back. He's willing to give him one third of everything he has. Again, what love the father has for his son. What Jesus is trying to say here is this. We're all like the younger brother. We all have moments in our lives where we fall short, where we make mistakes but there's also moments where we want things that God provides, but we don't want God. We want the forgiveness that God brings, but we don't want to live in obedience to his plan. We want the, the work that he does in our lives, but we want the freedom to do whatever we want. But we all reach a point where we realize, I want to go home. I want that relationship with God again. I, I'm looking around at my life right now and I see all the mistakes and the pain and the regret that I've, I've done. Today, no matter who you are or what you've done, watching this, know that if you come home, the Father accepts you. And not only just accepts you, but he welcomes you and he restores you in right relationship with him. He gives you full rights as a child of God.
we often want to work it off. We often want to feel like we need to earn this, to compare ourselves to others, to check all the boxes needed to be a faithful follower of him. But really, our faith is about the acceptance the Father shows us. Today, the gospel, it doesn't make good people better. It makes dead people alive. Again, it doesn't make good people better. It makes dead people alive. We need to realize that we are broken. And if we're honest, we fill our lives with so many different things to try and make us forget how broken we are. If I could just get more of more money to get more of what I want, if I could just get that vacation to get away and forget about my life for a little bit. See, we fill our lives with things to avoid us dealing with the brokenness in our lives. And when we realize we're broken, like the younger son, when we see ourselves down in the mud, we hit a point of, what am I doing? Why am I continuing to fight this? I need to return home to the Father today watching. You can have that moment. Maybe you've had just a brutal week, a brutal month, a brutal year. And, and you feel like the younger brother where you're just sitting there going, what am I doing? None of this stuff that I'm doing is satisfying. Not, none of what I, I poured my life into has brought me meaning. Today, it's in the acceptance of the Father. All right, back to the chart one more time. So in the story, what was missing? The younger brother. How many were there? There were two. Who looked for him? No one. This son was lost and no one looked for him. But was he found? Yes. And this is the crazy part of this story. See, the older brother should have been looking for his younger brother. He got more of an inheritance to keep the family together. See, he, again, he, he gets two thirds for the sake of keeping the family together. The family was broken. His younger brother runs off. And instead of seeking him out and finding him, he stays about his business, about the things that he needs to get done. When the younger brother comes back, and he gets one-third of the inheritance again, he gets the older brother's stuff. The older brother has lost a lot to see his younger brother restored. And as we talk about reconciling people to the heart of God, I think sometimes we, we don't do it because of what it costs us. See, sometimes it costs us something to be able to reach out and to bring people into the kingdom of God. See, if I bring new people into the church, those people may get more of the pastor's time than I do. Or if I'm about this life of, of reconciling people to the heart of God, I might not have as much time for me and to do, to do the things that I want to do. Or maybe I just don't feel like it. I just want what I want and I don't want to be about worrying about other people. The older brother should have been looking, but he was satisfied with his life and working for what was his. See, he knew that if he stayed faithful, that two thirds of the inheritance was there for him. And so I'm sure he just kept his head down and he did everything the father asked him 
so that he could get what was his. At this time, he, the, again, the sinners and the Pharisees are here as Jesus tells this story. And at this point, the Pharisees would begin to grumble. And they're grumbling because of how radical the father's love is here. This son shouldn't have been restored to his father. The father had two different moments to cast him off and to send him away, and he didn't. And if we're honest, today in church, we grumble about all different kinds of things. But is our heart for the lost? Do we care more about how maybe our Sunday service looks than we do about reaching the lost? Do we care more about the, the passions and things in our lives than we do about others coming to know God? And today I just want you to reflect on that a little bit. Does our heart for the lost match God's? And we see how big it is through this story as Jesus teaches on it. And now we get to the older brother. And if I'm honest, I often relate to him more. I forget the reason that Jesus came was for lost people. We need to have a heart for the world around us. We need to have a heart for those who don't know God. Again, how do I know that? I read from Genesis to Revelation, God's plan to redeem and reconcile us to him. I see Jesus who came and laid down his life so that we could literally have restored relationship with God. It's in God's heart. God's heart needs to become my heart. We finish Luke 15. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, with, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the, the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother's brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. See, after the younger brother comes home, the family's reunited. And all the father can see is the, the reconciliation of a son who was lost and is now found. And if you look at Jesus' intent behind the story to his original audience, the Pharisees were offended by the beginning part of the story. They didn't want to hear that God will accept us no matter what, because to them it meant that everything that they had believed about God was not right. Again, they believed that you had to earn the right to God to follow the law religiously and to make sure that, that you did everything right to earn God's acceptance. And Jesus here was changing everything. The older brother is in the field. He hears music and dancing, and he finds out that his brother had come home. And not only that, but then the father explains to him that 
he's killed the fattened calf. And he gets furious. And he refuses to join the feast. It was now the older brother's turn to hurt the family. See, I'm the heir to everything that this family owns. But I don't want to be part of the family with him in it. He's abrasive to his father. He doesn't even address him as father at this point. He doesn't address his brother as his brother. He says, this son of yours. He refuses to acknowledge being in the family. And I think part of it is because, again, he understands the cost of all of this. At that time, they didn't eat meat because of how expensive it was. And, and so the fattened calf was literally the most expensive piece of meat that the father owned. And he kills it for the younger brother coming home. Again, the older brother, it cost him some of his inheritance. It cost him some of the things that he would get later on to see his brother restored. And we see in us as older brothers, again, the cost that there is often involved to bring people into the kingdom of God. It means I have to give up maybe some of the way that I like church. I have to give up, again, some of the things that I would rather spend my time doing for the sake of people coming to know God. See, the oldest son also only cared about the father's things. He only cared about the expense that was going forth for the party that was being thrown. He didn't care about his father's heart. He didn't care that the father was excited to see his son came home. He only cared about what it cost him. The father still responds tenderly. He still says, I want you at the feast. I want to make my family whole and right again. But as we see, again, one last time, we take a look at the chart today. Who was lost? The older son. How many? There were two of them. Who went looking? The father. And was he found? We don't know. Jesus just ends the parable here. He never tells us what happens. And, and, and I think it's because in the first story of the younger brother, we get a traditional picture of sin. It was clear. The wrong that he did was, was obvious. Everyone knew the younger son was wrong. But the older son, he was wrong too. He didn't have a heart to see the son, the, his brother reconciled. And I think that Jesus leaves that as a cliffhanger because the same thing is true of us today as Christians. Do we have the heart to see those who don't know God reconciled to him? And Jesus listeners get the point. See, it was the opposite of everything that they had learned their entire lives. But it still rattled them. The lover of prostitutes was saved, but the moral man was lost. Again, God wants new people, not good people. We are all lost. The story teaches us that Jesus is the true elder brother. He came to seek and save the lost. The heart of the Father is to see lost people found. And if we aren't careful, we can begin to think that it's more about our goodness, it's more about the obedience to the Father. And we forget about reaching the lost. Jesus came from heaven to earth. 
He paid the price in full with his life for the chance that hopefully, maybe, will respond. We don't add anything to the gospel. It's done. It's exactly the way that it was supposed to be in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But we bring the good news. As a church, we should be about bringing the good news to everyone around us. So what does that look like? We're going to pray for people who don't know God. See, in the past, we've made lists of maybe three to five people who you would like to pray for that they would come to know Jesus. Maybe dig them out. (laughs) Maybe when we made that list, you you threw it in the car or you got home and tossed it and you haven't opened, opened it since then or you haven't looked at it since then. Dig that out. Maybe you've never done that before. Today, as you're watching, somewhere on your phone, on a piece of paper, make a list of people that you want to know God and put it somewhere where you see it and you're going to pray for them. See, as we pray for people who don't know God, God begins to do all the work. We just love them. We're obedient, but God begins to change hearts. And one way that we're going to put this into practice as a church is this. Going forward on Fridays, we're going to fast as a church to pray for people who don't know God. Every Friday, we're going to take a break. For some of you, maybe it'll be one meal. For others of you, maybe from sunup to sundown, you won't eat anything. For others of you, it may be the whole day. But as a church on Fridays, we're going to commit to taking time to pray for the people in our lives, in our town, in our community, in our world who don't know God. This is a priority to us. Again, we're a church that believes that prayer matters, and we also want to be about the Father's heart. And so we're going to pair these together. And even this week, maybe you just need to pray, God, would you give me your heart? I've been too much about my own, my own goodness of trying to, to make sure that I did everything right. I've been too much about my own desires and passions. Or maybe I've been living like the prodigal younger son. Today, I want your heart. God, would you change me? Would you speak to me? Today, if you are the prodigal, Jesus is waiting for you to restore you fully. All it takes is for you to say, I made a mistake. I've fallen short. I am broken. I know I can't do this on my own. And Jesus, I know that your death and your resurrection is what makes me right with you. And you'll see a link on all of our platforms today. We would love if you would click that and fill it out. And it would help us get you connected to our community to help you grow and to understand and know the decision that you've made. Today, if you're an older brother and you're trying to be better instead of reaching people, it's time to repent. If we've been more about our own passions and our own interests and the Father's heart, it's time to repent. If it's been a long time since we have personally led someone to Jesus, it's time to repent. This week, would we pray, God, would you give me your heart? And as we close, one last thing. Some of you, as you're watching this today, you might think, I'm not qualified to do this. See, most of the people that God uses, we would probably say they weren't qualified. See, there's a woman out at the well that Jesus has a conversation with. The conversation is probably 10 minutes. But in that moment, Jesus radically changes her life. And in that 10 minutes after, she runs to her village and tells everyone about who Jesus is and saves an entire village. 
There's a demon-possessed man who meets Jesus for five minutes. And after that five-minute encounter with Jesus, the whole region that he goes back to is changed because of the redemption and reconciliation to God that Jesus brought in their lives. We can do the same. It comes down to, I met Jesus and he changed everything. I was dead, but now I'm alive. You were created to be with Jesus and to be his voice of hope to a dying world. As a church, would we embrace that? Would we be passionate about that? Would it be everything to us? Would we have the Father's heart? Let's close in prayer. Jesus, today we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love and for your forgiveness. God, that when we were the younger brother far from you, you came and you restored us and you made us part of your family. God, this week, would you put in our hearts the passion that you have to see people reconciled to you? God, from the beginning of time, it's been in your heart to redeem us and to restore us to you. Would you just place that hunger and that passion in our hearts this week, God? Would we be your voice of hope to the world around us? In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this encourages you to take your next steps in your faith journey with God. You can check us out more on connectchurchnj.com. Have a great day.